Boys and girls, ladies and gents, welcome to another episode of Clutch Conversations. It's your boy, Mike. I hope y'all having a great weekend. We got a special Saturday night episode tonight with Lucas from Lab Exotics. But before we get into that, I do want to say, make sure if you are in this hobby in any shape, form, or fashion, please make sure that you're out there supporting U.S. Art and supporting U.S. Art Florida. The link for both of those are in the description of this video. Remember, U.S. Art is the organization which uniquely advocates for our freedom to responsibly keep reptiles and amphibians. So without further ado, we're going to bring Lucas from Lab Exotics. What's up, bro? How's it going? What's going on? Thanks for having me, man. How you doing? No problem. No problem. No problem. Yeah, great. Great to um, finally catch up. I know we had some scheduling difficulties at first, but I knew it was going to happen and I'm I'm, I'm, I'm excited. Yeah, yeah, me too, man. I know we've been trying to get this done since like March or something. So before we even get into all the snake stuff and all the reptile stuff, how was your wife's birthday? It was good, man. So I had no clue about this service that people provide, but like my wife, like we don't have a pool or anything. Um, but my wife was on her phone and she was like, hey, I found an app. There's like a, a service where you can like rent people's pools, like at their places, at their homes. They leave their homes, you oh, go in the backyard and you have access to everything back there. And she found a place and we just rented it for like two and a half, three hours. And it was it was awesome. So there were <clears throat> there was cornhole set up. Uh, there was a beautiful pool with plenty of shade. There was probably a three thousand dollar grill that I got to cook on. Oh, um, nice, nice. Had had chairs everywhere. It was a blast. So we all had a good time and then came back to our place saying happy birthday, had cake. It was good. Nice, nice. So it's like an Airbnb for swimming pools. Right, exactly. I'd never heard of that in my life. Never ever. heard of it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so what you put on the grill? Uh, burgers and brats. Nice, nice. Yeah, some peppers nice. on there too. Okay. Okay. So good stuff. Sounds like a good time. So real quick. Um, so introduce yourself, tell the people about what you do. Yeah. So uh, again, my name's Lucas, uh, owner of lab exotics. I've been breeding reticulated pythons now for, uh, this is my third season. I've been keeping them for a total of, of five years, but, um, prior to me even owning retic since 2011, I've been in the forums and the old school websites before Facebook groups got big, really learning about retics. It was always a goal and dream of mine to own a retic, but I always thought they were out of reach because of, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're massive. And then back in 2011, I ran across a, uh, on snakes.com forum, uh, over in the UK, a honey Island Superdorf retic and i was like whoa what's that i started digging into it and i found out that you could actually own a retic and they could be a manageable size and so i was like all right bet after college i get out i'm gonna own one um didn't go that way i had my wife had i had to beg my wife um for <laughs> to get a snake <laughs> um and she finally <laughs> let me have one and then uh here we are five years later and i got about 20. um so my when i originally came in my niche was like super dwarf reticulated pythons i i was really into really small retics and i still have a huge passion for that but mostly what i'm about and, and what i i'm trying to spread my passion is for locality retics in particular okay so i'm sure you're aware by now we can't import retics um right so what we have here is what we have and like my what drives me is just having a bunch of different localities and being able to um, breed them, 
uh, conserve them, keep bloodlines good and fresh, healthy, and be able to just, my whole thing is like, I want to bring the wild into my house. I love just having gotcha. a nice wild type. And so um, most of my collection is F1. I have one wild caught. I have probably like 10 F1 animals. And then the rest are, are more removed from first generation captive bred. Um, gotcha. I have some small morph projects I'm working on the side that I like to mess with. Um, mm -hmm. But but for the most part, I like the small locality to medium locality retics and locality retics that are just, yeah, that's my thing. Gotcha. So temperament wise, do you see a, a big difference between like the F1s or the ones that are that far removed from the wild versus the ones that are uh, further removed from the wild? Uh, generally speaking, the answer would be yes. Um, like I know that there, I, I've handled and I've I've had mainlands and I've handled mainlands that have been so much more calm than the small locality animals like Kalatoa or, uh, you know, other of those localities, uh, and they're they've been more chill. But to be honest, um, out of all the F ones that I have right now, I only have one that's a runner. I only have one that that likes to move a lot and everything. And and but um, I I don't have a single F one that's defensive or. Um, or nervous or, you know, cage defensive. Okay. I want to say what's up to people in the chat real quick. What's going on, everyone? So Serpent Eclipse Reptiles, thanks for coming out. Rob, what's up, bro? Thanks for coming out. Jay Hill Jr., thanks for coming out. The homie Bosa, what's up, bro? Thanks for coming out. GP Snakes, Gershon, what's good, bro? Thanks for coming out. Nana D's Life, thanks for coming out. I think I got everybody who's put a comment in there. So if it's your first night visiting the channel, please, please hit that like button, hit that subscribe button, hit that notification bell, and be sure to go follow Lab Exotics everywhere that they can be followed on social media. I've got all of the lab exotics links in the description of this video. So feel free to go check that out. Appreciate it. So what drew you to retakes like over other reptiles? Uh, so being younger before, way before I ever kept them, um, you know, reptiles magazine, six magazines, I used to see these massive, beautiful creatures. Um, and really what drew me to them was when I started seeing the different type of morphs early on, just like, tiger reticulated pythons, the different type of strains of albino. I mean, I, I when I first saw a purple albino retic, I was blown away. I was like, wait, what? Um, I mean, they're they're amazing. I, I know the ball python community is still trying to get something that has that much purple in it, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but but yeah, so I was drawn to them by by just their aesthetic. They look just really beautiful, but there was always rumors. I hadn't owned one, but there was always rumors that they were extremely intelligent. And... and um, growing up, I had kept uh, ball pythons, carpet pythons, Argentine boa, um, and uh, I even had a rat snake. Um, and yeah, when I just heard that retics acted different and they were like intelligent and inquisitive, um, I was like, yeah, that sounds really cool. Um, so yeah, I mean, and then, you know, when I got to owning them and I actually had my first one, I saw it firsthand and everything that that people said about how inquisitive smart 
uh, how much they pay attention to detail, how much they watch you when you're in the, the room with them. Um, it, it couldn't be more true. Um, I was blown away by it and, um, I was hooked. I, you know, I've been wanting to breed snakes since I was a kid, but when I got my one snake that took me like a year to ask my wife to get, um, I didn't think I was going to be breeding. Um, but then I got her to loosen up her fears of snakes and now she, she loves them. She helps out with the hatchlings. And, um, so yeah, that's when I was like, all right, I'm gonna do this. Gotcha. Gotcha. So I take it your wife, um, wasn't into reptiles before the first retake. No. Um, and as a matter of fact, she likes to joke around. Hopefully she's joking around, but, um, we met in college and I was playing baseball. So I was like a student athlete and, and I never talked about snakes and reptiles like I do now. Right. It was like a, just a secret thing that no one could relate. And I was playing ball. I wasn't there to talk about snakes. Um, and I didn't have any at the time because I was, uh, out of town playing ball out of state. And I, I rehomed all my snakes before I went there. And so I never talked about it. It was kind of uh -huh. like a long lost passion that I thought was like, it, it burned. Like I never thought I'd have the opportunity again. Um, and then, uh, so she had nothing, no clue about that. And then when I moved to Texas and I married her, I'm on my phone, just like obsessing about snakes, obsessing about snakes. I'm like, I need to get another snake. And she, she jokes around with people now. And she's like, if I would have known you were this crazy, I would have never married you. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> Yeah, but no, she's been extremely supportive. Uh, she has never said no. She rolls her eyes, um, but she has been uh, wonderful. Um, so yeah, I, I just um, I have I have a thing where all my friends, even growing up, anybody who's scared of a snake, I have like a mm -hmm. goal to remove that fear. Gotcha. Um, yeah, I, I'm a I'm like in my daytime job, I'm a therapist, and so oh, now. Okay. So naturally me as an adult now and as a therapist, it's like, I know that fear is irrational. Let's get to the bottom of that. <laughs> right, right. Why do you think, why do you think folks have these fears of snakes? Um, I got I my think, thoughts, but I'd be interested to hear what you think. So I, I really think it's, it's, it's a worldwide phenomenon. Um, and, and I think the reason for that is because we have been ingrained. Um, uh, I really think religion played a, a large part in, in, um, demonizing snakes because, yeah that was one of the ones on my list yeah so um yeah just they they have always been seen as you know especially in like catholicism and, and christianity and everything you have uh the idea that if the devil took over a snake then the snake's an evil animal and because the snake told adam and eve to bite the apple and and you know that created sin and now here we are you know however many years later and now sin exists. And so I think there's this bad reputation, but then also just, if you look at historically the depictions of serpents and dragons, they're always these big intimidating creatures. Right. But, but what I like to share with people and a lot of people don't realize, um, especially, uh, especially even a lot of Christians is that like the reason why Lucifer or the devil took over a snake was because a snake is innocent it has no legs no arms no way to hurt and so if, if a snake was genuinely evil and the scariest thing ever adam and eve would have never gone and talked to the snake right it's true it's, there, it's there's no way they would have so that's why right. he took over a snake. exactly like if, if if the devil took over a lion adam and eve are like nope get that i'm not talking to this lion right but they they <laughs> it, the devil took over a an animal that was harmless no legs no, no hands, no way to harm them. So 
yeah, that's why I think so. I think just culturally because of religion. Um, and yeah, but well, what's the other reason you have? So religion was one. And then the other one was the media, which in a sense, that's what you're saying. Um, it's just kind of like culturally and just kind of the cultural depiction um, of snakes and serpents and things of that nature. So just same, same thing pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. And most folks that I've met that are like definitely afraid of snakes and, and, and I'm not that far removed from like, not being a reptile keeper and not having any experience with snakes. So I, I know how, I know how it is. Um, I didn't know, but I just, I was always taught snakes aren't bad. Snakes aren't good. I'm sorry. Snakes aren't good. Mm-hmm. And so like, it was just kind of always something that just immediately you, you write it off. You don't want to deal with snakes. But then once you start working with snakes and you start seeing like reptiles and just the, the different, personality traits of snakes the different species of snakes how some are different than others and like you realize that it's this whole world of things that you never really gave a chance before and so once you can kind of remove that mental block and give it that chance Mm -hmm. then it becomes like this entirely different experience and you look at it everything totally different but like i said i'm not that far removed from from being in that other world right and growing up i was always taught be afraid of snakes uh, I was taught that um, from religion. I was taught that in the media. I was taught that culturally just from everybody else who was taught those same lessons. And it's just like, a, it's a bad rap. So it's, it's good to have people who are who are um, motivated to, to teach folks about snakes and reptiles in general and not having that fear. So that's a pretty cool goal. I like that you said that. Yeah, 100%. And um, yeah, that and that's why you were mentioning just like how great they are actually when you get to hold them. And I think that's why I was gravitated towards retics, just holding retics and getting to handle them and work with them. It wasn't like any of the other snakes I kept growing up. Um, I, I felt like they were observing me as much as I was observing them. Yeah. And so I remember the first time I held a snake and we've only been keeping for for about two, almost two and a half years now. Okay. So, so not long at all. And I still remember my very first you experience. you got that many snake. snakes and racks behind you? <laughs> <laughs> all of them aren't full, though. Full okay. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I remember the first time holding a snake. And I didn't really know what to expect. I knew it wasn't going to be, like, kind of what was in my head. Are they going to be slimy? It was going to be weird. I knew, I knew it wasn't going to be that. But I didn't quite know what to expect. So I still remember like that feeling of like first holding the snake and just kind of how it felt in my hand. It wasn't any, it was, I don't even know how to describe it, but it, it was just cool, like feeling the scales and stuff like that. So, so that was pretty cool. Um, I'm so glad we got into this hobby though. Um, my wife and I, like I said, we, we weren't really into snakes before. Uh, it took a little bit of convincing too, um, to kind of get her on board. But like now she's like fully on board. Like there would be no hurt collectors without Takara because like she helps with everything. Like she's helping awesome. with cleaning. Like we're, we're talking, we're bouncing ideas back and forth off of each other. Uh, we're comparing favorites on Morph Market that we've saved. So like, it, it's so fun. Like it, awesome. it's really fun. That's really awesome. I, I, it's funny how there's always a little bit of resistance at first, right? All right. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I remember when, I, like, every time that someone holds a snake for the first time and it's one of mine or, or, you know, they haven't held a snake before and I'm with them during that experience, you know, everyone's always shocked to, to like, they're smooth, right? 
mm-hmm. they're smooth and they they feel very dense in your hand and, and it's something yeah. that people don't normally expect a lot of I, you feel I, the I, muscles moving right like, i've had people ask me are the scales gonna cut me i'm like no do the scales <laughs> look like they're gonna cut you <laughs> Hey, but sometimes you don't know what you don't know. Like, it's just, <laughs> <laughs> the scales are gonna cut me. I'm still alive. Why would I have them? <laughs> no, I guess yeah, that's, that's not. The first I, guess, time I heard that one. Yeah, I guess. I guess that's not true though. I know monitor keepers love to hold their monitors, and I see these big croc monitors climbing on people, and I'm just like, how are you dealing with those claws? Like, just like ripping at you. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> Keisha, what's up? Thanks for coming out. Great interview tonight. Stan, what's up? Thanks for coming out, bro. So what are some things that Reptile Keeping has taught you about yourself? Um, That, oof. Okay, so one big thing that, that Keeping Reptiles has taught me um, is really the art of true, like, true confidence and relaxation like so with retics um they read you they they read you up and down um and uh it's one thing to so little backstory real quick so i I bought i bought my first retic coyote and then i decided like after i bought that that coyote uh you know what's arguably known as a smaller medium locality retic um I, I got a mainland male, um, and then I was like, you know what? I want to breed, and I was able to get an amazing deal on a wild-caught pair of Kalatoa Superdorf retics. And um, it's like a once-in-a-lifetime chance that you can get a wild-caught pair, and so I got them. And um, for anybody listening, I don't recommend, if you've only been keeping retics for two years, don't get a wild-caught animal. <laughs> um, I, I learned as much in that six that first six months owning them that I did the prior two and a half years of, of owning retics. And one thing that it told me is that I can tell myself, stay cool, be calm, you're good. That wasn't enough to actually stay cool, be calm, and feel good. Um, because <laughs> they, they, they really do read everything. And when you are nervous, they sense that. And so they really taught me just to to – read their body language and be patient um patience is one thing especially if you get into breeding it's not always going to go good i got these wild yeah i got these wild caught animals and my first year was a complete bust i ended up with only one baby surviving um which was still i mean still a great accomplishment for wild caught animals uh and it's a new bloodline of kalatoa so i was it just that one clutch yeah that was the only snake that i paired uh, that, okay. that was, that was the first time I've ever bred anything in my entire life. And it happened to be wild caught Kalatoa retics. Okay. So you just um, hopped right in the deep end. Yeah. Hopped right in the deep end. And, um, yeah, I, she laid 28 pearly, beautiful whites. Most of them were not fertile. Um, I had some temperature issues on my end. And then we had that huge Texas winter storm that knocked out my power for 18 hours. My house got to like 40 degrees. If it wasn't for me finding a generator last minute in, in six inches of snow in Texas, which no one ever hears of. Um, my, 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 most of my collection probably would have died. Um, it got that cold. 
That was 2021? 2020. 2020, okay. Wait, hold up. That was 2021. Yeah. Okay, okay. February. Yeah, I remember hearing all the stuff about Texas and, like, unfortunately hearing some very sad stories from, from some keepers about losing animals and things of that nature. So, yeah, that's... Yeah. That's rough. Um, um yeah, and so like I I, I it, patience, right? Like so I had this beautiful pearly white and then just little by little eggs started knocking off, knocking off, knocking off and then I ended up only with one baby. Very disappointing and so it taught me patience and it taught me just uh kind of that stick-to-itiveness mindset, like don't let the failures right. you know, get you down because um if I would have done that the first year, I wouldn't be uh, still breeding. And, um, I mean, it's taught me a lot about genetics, right? Like pundit squares. Like, yeah, I had to brush off my genetics and what I learned in high school. Uh, <laughs> I, I literally, I, I, I talk to people about snakes and I forget like they're, this is like really complex stuff to like layman people that don't know about snakes, but I'm like, yeah, it's het for this. And they're like, what's het? And I was like, Oh, heterozygous. And they're like, was heterozygous. <laughs> like, uh, you know, it's it's a it's a it's a gene that's not expressed visually, and they're like, "What are you talking about?" And I'm like, "What right. do you mean when you right? say those words?" Right? <laughs> so, um, but yeah, and on top of that, it really just taught me that, um, man. I just now that I'm just reflecting on it is, if if you have a passion about something as a kid, don't ever let that candle go out. I almost did. Like I almost like after college baseball, I almost was like, eh, why get back into them? Because when I was young and, and before I went to college, I had, I had a, a spot, spider ball python, I had a pastel. I was ready to make like bubble bees. I was super excited. That And that was back when they weren't even that, you know, that was 2011. Like they were yeah, that was popular back, back people then. People were hating on spiders like that. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah. Cause nowadays if I was breeding ball pythons, I probably wouldn't get you know, a spider in my collection, but I love them at the time. And I still do. I still think they're one of the best visual codoms. Um, but, um, so yeah, I, I almost let that, that candle burn out and I'm happy that I did it. And, um, yeah. So they, they taught me a lot about myself and, uh, also taught me just how big of a nerd I am. <laughs> yeah. Getting your head wrapped around the genetics is, is tough at first and then speaking with people about the genetics when they don't when they're not exposed to that world that's tough too but that's always fun too in a way just to kind of like break it down i don't think folks always understand it when you explain it but you start like it's kind of like just chipping away chipping away chipping away chipping away and the more and more you get exposed to it then you finally have like this 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 good understanding of it but yeah that was one of the, the hardest things to for me to get my head wrapped around at first too was like the genetics but once you kind of understand like the fundamentals it's just like anything once you understand the fundamentals yeah. then you can start going out and you can branch it's just like with baseball um if you understand the fundamentals of baseball then you can build on that but the first thing you got to do is understand the fundamentals and so with breeding one of those fundamental lessons and fundamental things you got to understand is 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 how the genetics work yeah yep exactly um and and it's crazy because like i can't people ask me all the time like how long did it take for you to actually start being able to recognize and identify like morphs and like 
you know, understand like what you get when you pair this and you pair that. And I, I really don't have an answer for that. It's like one day I didn't know. And I felt like the next day, like I knew like it just, <laughs> it, it was it, and not to say that it happened overnight. It took many years to finally get to, yeah. you know, what I know now, but um, plus just a lot of help from amazing mentors and, and other people just, um, a lot of people talk about the negativity in the ball Python community, the retail community, all these different communities. But at the same time, it's like, if you choose to focus on the negative aspects of the community, yeah, it's a negative community. Right. Um, but if you actually focus on the positive and you build a good support group and system around you, I mean, I, I, yeah, I love the retail community. Absolutely. Like it's, like it's, it's what you focus on. Like is the glass half empty or is the glass half full? You can choose to focus on the glass being half empty or you can choose to focus on it being half full. I'm one of those type of people who I, I'd rather focus on it being half full, right? Exactly. Um, there's always going to be sour sour grapes and apples in, in every community. But, you know, if if just just don't associate around them and, and you'll be good. 100%, 100%. So you, you spoke about mentors. Who were some of your mentors? Yeah, so, um, man, a lot of these guys that I'm probably going to mention, um, I, I, I used to blow up, and even today we'll still ask them questions over and over because I'm a true believer you never stop learning. But um, when I first got into Retix, um, the very first person that took me under his wing, uh, you know, over 20, 30 years experience was uh, Samson Pruitt of Slither Inc. Okay, um, okay. I, or Slither Exotics now. Um, I know he's a very controversial individual, but at the end of the day, um, the guy knows what he's doing with, with retics. The guy's been breeding for a long time. He knows the fundamentals as good as anybody else. Um, and, and to be honest, he never, he, he never made me feel uncomfortable to reach out to him. And this was even before. So like I, I started keeping retics in 2018 and, um, early 2018 and I was, I started talking to him in 2015. The, the guy put three years into me before I even bought my first animal. Yeah. That's, so, so I that's think a, that's a significant investment. Yeah. So I thank him a lot for that. And then, um, you know, I, I, I've known Garrett Hartle now for about two and a half, three years, um, and talked to him frequently. Um, he's been a huge help for me. I was just texting him earlier today, bugging him again, asking him <laughs> about some breeding stuff. Um, uh, Aubrey Pruitt, that's the shirt I'm repping right here. A and B, A and B Exotics. He's the Ocelot King. Um, A and B Exotics. Yeah, A and B Exotics. Okay. Um, uh, and yeah, for those that aren't familiar, even though I doubt it, but Garrett Harder with Reach Out Reptiles. Yeah, um, Reach Out Reptiles. Yeah, Garrett. Um, cool. And more recently, and I love what he's doing with USR, like dedicating right. so much time to helping USR and helping them with their social media presence. That's dope. And what a lot of people don't realize is that he's taken a big chunk of his income from what he generates on his own social media platforms and what he does with his own stuff to do this. Exactly. Yeah. Talk about giving back. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, uh, yeah. And then, uh, more recently over the last year, um, Rodney Bolich with R and B reptiles. Okay. Uh, he's the turnate King. He's the one who's got all the Ternate localities. Um, He's been a great help and, and great assistance with me. Um, and I mean, that, that, that group just keeps expanding. I'm a big believer. There's a lot of old school breeders out there that will say, listen to one person and listen to what they say and, and go to them for things. But I, I'm more of a, I'm going to get, I'm going to ask 
five really knowledgeable old school people the same question. I'm going to get all their answers and then I'm going to, I might pick one of those answers or do a combination of them to see what works and then, and then form my own observation, hypothesis, opinion on, on what I'm seeing and what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so those, those four or five are probably the, the ones that have shaped me the most. I, I see a comment in the, I see the comment saying, so slither, huh? See, so <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of controversy around, <laughs> there's a lot of controversy around, um, you know, slither and, you know, his past and, and whatnot. But, um, yeah, at the end of the day, um, the guy's been breeding retics for, for 30 years. And if you're asking him questions like humidity, husbandry, how to breed, how to do all that. I mean, the guy's got just as much experience as, as the, the, the goats out there, you know, as Kevin McCurley and, and all those people that's been doing this since eighties, nineties. Um, so yeah. Um, do you mind? As I say, your approach is, is similar to mine. Um, and I don't just take this approach like with reptiles. I, I try to take it with everything that I do um, in terms of when I'm, I'm trying to learn and, and that's always because I never stop learning um, with anything that I do. I always want to like grow, 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 grow in advance, but pulling things from multiple people because you can pull things from like the goat and then you can pull something from someone who just started. And so it's kind of looking, saying some things that resonate with you, that, that makes sense, that are, are smart to do, and then just kind of applying that. And maybe you don't do it exactly like that person do it. Maybe you put your own spin on it or you slap your own swag on it, whatever. But pulling from those multiple resources, like I feel like that's what I've done like with just anything in life. Like I see people yeah. who are really good at something that I want to be really good at and I, and I pull from them or I see somebody that does something in the same space that I'm working in as well. Uh, regardless of experience or tenure or anything like that, but it's really working, then I pull from that and just that's kind of how you are. And so that's why that's one of the things that makes me want to like surround myself with like good people and, and people that are doing like good things because I don't want to be pulling stuff from bad people. No one wants to do that. Exactly. And, um, and, and, yeah, I mean, when it comes to just building your foundation, it's good to, so you mentioned like even people who've been doing this a little bit longer. Um, my good buddy of mine, Nathan Katz with Katz Reptiles, um, you know, he's, he's my, uh, he's a co-host to the podcast that we're about to drop. Um, every time you say his name, and I want to get on the podcast too in just a second, but every time you say his name, I think Stephen Katz, uh, that breeds carpets, but it's not the same guy. No, you know, no, it's no, the no. first name, first person that comes to my mind when you say that. So um, he he told me in, in one of our episodes he covered um, and he talked about advice that that uh, Garrett Hartle gave him. But um, it, it's so important. Find find someone that you can get close with. That's like two years ahead of where you are. And really hit them up for all the breeding and all the questions and all of that, because it's fresh on their mind. They're not. Yeah, near, that's a they're, good point. And they're not nearly as busy as the big breeders. Um, they're not nearly as as occupied as, as they are, and, and they they're gonna have more time to um, they're gonna have more time to, to spend um, with with helping you and the struggles and issues that you're gonna go through. You know, they're they're only a two years ahead of you, so more than likely they've they've gone through that recently, right? So That's a good um, point. I, I thought that was really good advice. I loved hearing Nathan say that. Yeah, that's, that's that's great advice. 
Yeah, I wanted to, if it's okay with you, I want to address a question that I saw up here. Yeah, sure. Uh, which question was it? Uh, I'll pull it up if I can find it. What words of wisdom do you have for people getting into retics slash stupid orbs? All right, you can go in and answer it. Um, I can't, I don't see it, but I'm half blind too. I don't got my glasses on. <laughs> it was at 725 if that helps. Don't know if that helps, but. Um, okay, so 825 on my side. So um, I guess words of wisdom would be number one. Um, it, okay, so I'll answer this in like a two part. The first part is if you're getting into retics, words of wisdom, not superdors, but retics in general. Okay, words of wisdom would be to... Um, Start with a hatchling and grow with it before you get into it. See if you can find a mentor that you can uh, handle one beforehand to know. Um, I did not do that, but I wish I would have. I wish I had someone local that had retics that I could actually hold them um, and, and be able to handle them and get that experience. But um, at the end of the day, words of wisdom. So like don't don't get complacent with retics even as babies because they will have bad days um it, it's a lot different than a ball python where for the most part with keeping ball pythons you can open up the rack you can just pick them up and they might get defensive and they might nip you right but you can pick them up you can do your spot cleans you can you can change the bedding and then you put them right back in it's in and out each drawer um with retics man they really will just hone in on you and your energy is everything. And so don't ever get complacent and overconfident with an animal. Um, and just know what you're getting into in terms of keeping retics in size. Now, this is also going to go into my words of wisdom with, with superdors. Um, and I say quotations because I, I don't like the word superdorf and dwarf. I don't. Why is that? Um, it's a, it's a mark. It was a marketing term that was used. And so that's what they were called. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but, and here's the word of wisdom and why I don't like that term. Um, and not that I dislike anybody who uses that term, like it doesn't mean anything, but, um, so like, what, what do you think of when you hear the word superdorf? I think it's going to be really small, right? Like it's going to be <laughs> really small. And so you got to realize that what we're, what we're doing is that we're using that term to describe the longest snake in the world. <laughs> so it's it's a complete oxymoron and it's kind of dumb because at the end of the day, a pure Kalatoa locality, which is a small island, reticulated python, that's what I'm trying to move towards is small island, medium island, large island. Okay. Um, and, and I know it's boring. It's not sexy like Superdorf or Dorf, which is why no one's ever going to call them small, medium, and large, right? Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll try to make up my own cool term, but for now, small, medium, large. But but the thing is, is that even a pure Kalatoa, I don't care what anybody tells you because I literally have a wild caught in my garage right now that's nine and a half feet. And that and that's a, that's a Kalatoa that people are normally expecting these animals to be six foot fully grown. And it's she's like nine and a half feet already. I mean, she's a wild caught. She's 12, 13 years old. But okay. But what a lot of people do is they say, okay, I have an adult Kalatoa for sale. She's had one clutch. She is five years old. She's for sale. And she's six and a half or seven feet. 
you know what? You're right. She she's a very small retic, but she she's five six years old. That snake's gonna grow a lot more over the next ten years. Um, and so yes, you can get them to breed at eighteen hundred grams. That's tiny. Really? Yeah. Garrett Hartle's done it. Yeah, I didn't realize they bred that small for like a retic. Because yeah, I mean, can. that's ball python, like. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. And that that's that's Garrett's whole goal, which is amazing, is to try to get these to be micro-sized. Um, but at the end of the day, um, you, you your Kalatoa female, which is a small island, a.k.a. Superdorf, reticulated python, is going to get generally 8 to 10 feet with a normal standard bloodline. Now, there are really tiny bloodlines that are out there, but those are wild. Most of them are wild-caught animals, and so you when you own one animal from a wild caught clutch, you don't know what the, the size variation was of all the other babies. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so again, it's, it's one of those things where my word of wisdom is like, do your best to, um, if you're looking for a small retic and you want to get into Superdorf, um, damn it. I said the word Superdorf and you want to <laughs> get into Superdorf retics. Um, <laughs> Do your best to, if you want a tiny animal, do your best to spend the money to get that animal, but just be prepared for that animal to be maybe two feet, three feet longer than you expected. If you're expecting a six foot animal, just prepare for a nine foot animal just, just in case. Just in case. Yeah. And don't, don't try to manipulate its size by, by feeding it way, way less. Don't do that. Um, I know a lot of people out there that are doing that right now. I see, I see two year old retics that are literally like three feet long and i'm like no that's not okay <laughs> um so so yeah that's my way i mean words of wisdom more like paragraphs of wisdom but there they are. <laughs> so clutch wise mm -hmm. you had the one clutch in 2021 have you had any clutches in 2022 so i i bred that same wild caught pairing together uh -huh. and they hatched uh february wait was it february yeah february 2022 this year Okay. Um, and, and right now the rest of my collection is getting, so right now the very first snake I got that Kaiwadi locality retic, she's okay. actually, she actually just ovulated. Nice. Which is huge. I'm excited to make pure Kaiwadis. Um, you spent about 25 eggs or so. Uh, she's a first timer. Um, her sister, a buddy of mine, Brian owns and on her first clutch, she had 22. 22. Okay. Yeah. So, and they're about roughly the same size. Um, so, um, yeah, so she's gravid. Um, and then, uh, <laughs> my Slayer medium locality, dwarf locality, uh, she's not eating right now. And my Kalatoa is, they, they both just denied two meals in a row, which is completely unlike a retic. So, um, that is where I am. Um, so they might be going for me this year. And then I also have, uh, a Philippine female that's four years old that she can more than likely go this year. And then probably early in 2023, I'll have Ternate. Um, so I, 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 I have seven localities right now. Seven localities. Okay. So have you put much thought into like how, how you, how you will sell them? Because like when I, when I think about it, I think about it from uh, a ball python perspective, and I'm like that's kind of like my my frame of reference, right? And so like in my mind, like while you should make sure, or while you would want like anyone who buys any animal to have like proper understanding of husbandry, 
to have the finances available to to take care of the animal um to be in a stable situation to where things aren't just going to go like off the rails and they can't take care of the animals so you want in, in theory you want all those things to be in place but when you start like when you go like toe-to-toe putting the ball python versus a retic i feel like with the retic the stakes are higher than with the ball python so have you put any kind of like thought into like vetting customers or kind of like what your I do. what your process will be I do. So, um, fortunately the, the clutch that I got to sell this year, um, sold, I, I, I sold them within six weeks. They sold really quick. And fortunately for me, a lot of the people that bought them were people that I, I know really well. Um, and so the people that I did not know, well, I, I always ask, have you had retics before? If you haven't had retics before, I, I tell them to like, what do you know about them? Right. And I just, I have a general conversation. Um, but then I also ask them, like, do you have the enclosure for it? Do you, you know, do you have a thermostat? And I, I make them tell me, like, what kind of thermostat do you use? What are you planning okay. on housing it in? Like, I I don't make it in a way where I'm questioning them. I, it's like just having a general conversation and just like getting, I want to get to know my buyers because I, I, I cannot thank the people who support my small business enough. And like, if you're going to buy from me, I don't want it to be like a one-time exchange and then see it. Like, let, let's, let's talk. Like, like, right. so, so I want to, I, I want to know like how long you've been keeping snakes, like, you know? And so, um, yeah, I won't, I won't ever, 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 ever release a retic without getting any sense of idea of what someone's experience is because the, the truth of the matter is that retics are probably the number one you like how I said that the truth. And then I said, probably um, <laughs> So the, the truth is that the, the maybe truth is that retakes are probably one of the most neglected and, and like rehomed snakes out there. Yeah. Um, and, that and makes so, sense. And that, know, and that's part of what I mean, like in terms of like the stakes being higher, like I feel like you, you can make a mistake with the ball Python, Right. And reading the body language and things like that. And I mean, worst case scenario, you get this little pin prick on you or whatever. Right. There's there's not a lot of like in terms of risk, there's not a lot of downside in terms of like the things that can happen um, in terms of, of that. You know what I'm saying? Like, but with a retic, if someone doesn't have the experience, they're they're neglecting the animal, they're they're not investing significant time into making sure the animal's comfortable with them and they don't learn things about uh the retic then it can go it can go like really bad really quickly right yeah or, for those of you that have not like ever seen a retic in food mode yeah um that was that was my first surprise so like I, again i kept retics for only two years and the, the snake that i had for two years is known to be a small slash medium locality snake so she was maybe like four or five feet um, and then I decided to get wild caught animals and I was like, <laughs> Oh, this is for real, for real. Like I, I was like, okay, so you guys, when you eat, you want to eat me. So um, oh, you want to eat, eat. <laughs> right? So, so yeah, it's, it's one of those things where like, yeah, it's intense. So yeah, the stakes are higher. You're, you're, I don't think people realize like a seven, eight foot retic suspended on your neck. Um, you know, if it decides to want to curl around and constrict, you're you're in trouble. I'm not saying it's going to kill you, but um, they are strong. And it's not a good day. No. So, like, I'll, I'll hold my snakes out in front. And the bigger ones, I'll put over my shoulder. And when they come around to this side, I always have my hand by their face. And I'm always tapping their head if they ever tried to come this way, right? And I'm always making sure that they're 
they, they got a good uh, distance from me. But yeah, the stakes are definitely higher. Um, but but I also think that from my experience, because I want to ask you some questions about ball pythons later. Okay. Um, but I just I, there was something about just owning a retic that I felt was more rewarding than owning a ball python, just because it is a lot of work to to learn your animal and to get that trusting really like when I moved all my snakes into my garage and I, I redid my garage and I'm running ambient temps, mm-hmm. um, my wild caught retic turned into a whole other animal and she became amazing because my confidence level grew. She was in an environment that I think that she prefers more, uh, okay. got her, got her a bigger enclosure. And now me and a wild caught reticulated Python are like this, like, <laughs> like we're, 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 so... that's gotta be rewarding as hell no, like, that's to, what I'm to saying. go from where you started to where you are. It's gotta be super rewarding. It's yeah. And it's, it's been like in the last six months where it's been a complete just change. Um, and I mean, even when I pulled her clutch, I pulled her clutch. She didn't strike at me once. Oh, nice. Like, what, yeah. Right? That's, so, that's definitely a, um, a lot. She, she bluffed, but she didn't open her mouth. Yeah. I um, mean, that's, that's progress. No, a hundred percent. So me and her are chill now, but when I first got her, man, I'm not going to lie. My first six months, I was nervous. I was, I was sketchy with her and therefore she was sketchy with me. Um, and it was not enjoyable for the first six months, but we, we it was this random sketchy guy. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, so there was a question real quick. I don't want to get too far removed from it, but I think they were talking about, they're probably talking about the super dwarfs, um, based on the time, like eight forty two. So on average, are they still smaller than the other island retics? Okay. Are we talking about, this is from Celtic balls. Can you, are you talking about Ternate islands? Because I think everyone was nerding out about them up there. Like I, I like them as well. So if we're talking about Ternate Island retics and whether they are smaller than other locality islands, so, um, so Ternate Islands. The reason why some people don't call them dwarfs is because you got to remember that dwarf and super dwarf are marketing terms they are marketing terms used to describe the islands that are south of sulawesi that are part of those small island chains because that what that those are what were being imported so historically speaking the dwarfs were jampea slayer and arguably kaiwadi i have my own thoughts about kaiwadi um but and arguably kaiwadi and then there are the Superdorf Islands that are Madu, Karampa, Kalatoa, and there's Tambalongan that UK calls them Superdorfs. We don't have enough of them in this country to really, uh, you know, disagree with that statement, but Superdorf, whatever. So Ternates are not considered dwarfs by a lot of people's standard because they're not part of that island chain. But what we know about Ternates is that we have 11 wild caught animals in the country. Not a single female is over 14 feet. As a matter of fact, she's, uh, according to Ronnie, is just under 14 feet. And when you look at that 14, and that's on the large end, he has females that are wild caught breeding on their second clutch at nine feet, which is super door size, right? So um, generally speaking, yes, they stay smaller in my experience as well, I have a female that's, that is three years old and I am hitting her so hard with food and she won't grow. She's like seven and a half, eight feet. Um, and so, 
yeah the, i i if we're gonna use like dwarf to just describe an animal smaller than the big mainlands yeah i think ternates or ternate islands are a dwarf retic but what i like to term them and and where i got this idea was from rodney himself he he refers to small medium and large locality retics because that is a lot more accurate than dwarf because if you think of dwarfism it's a it's a genetic mutation and that's not what's happening here it's not a gene it's not a dwarfism gene like you see in humans right this is just evolution and not having enough food on the islands and kind of a product of where they were exactly. where they evolved it yeah so um man why am i so long-winded anyways um so yeah man, that's great that's great that's great for podcasts <laughs> so so Called content. Um, <laughs> it, it's hard with me having a podcast now and having to share the space right <laughs> um but but yeah so um with the largest specimen in this country that's wild caught being uh over 13 feet but under 14 feet you have to think about how big slayers get my slayer that i have is she's gonna be 10 years old in april next year she's 14 feet and she's one of the smaller ones from her clutch they can get up 16 feet so if we're gonna call slayer a dwarf I don't, I think we have enough information to see that Ternates so far are proving to be small, uh, um, a medium sized locality. Um, but they are definitely not like Kalatoa small, Madu small, Karampa small. Um, and I had one more thought that just left my mind, which is probably a good thing, but that's my answer. <laughs> Oh, okay. So, someone said I think Celtic was referring to superdors in the 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 lo local sense, the locality sense, maybe. Yeah. So, um, okay. So, superdors again, marketing term to describe the snakes that originate from the islands of Kalatoa, Madu, Karampa, arguably Kaiwadi, um, and arguably Tombalongan. Um and so. Um, yeah, those snakes, those islands are much smaller. Here's my theory that I've heard from other people, and, and none of this is stuff that like I scientifically have done. This is all information that I've gathered from dozens of keepers. Um, and I, I generate my own hypothesis, and my hypothesis it aligns with other people's, but basically these islands broke off from the mainland however they they did that whatever the case may be and um retics a lot of people think they swam there whether they did or didn't but um they don't have as large prey item um there's more competition for food and so through evolution and over time these snakes have stayed smaller um because they don't have a lot of livestock to eat they don't have a lot of big prey items and so now the product of what we get is we get these animals that are pocket size retics um quote unquote pocket size but um big pockets yeah but at the end of the day what i want people to realize is it's still a reticulated python so guess what if you feed it like a mainland it's still gonna get a decent size you're not gonna you know it's it's very rarely and and i'm talking about females very rarely are you gonna have a female that at 10 years old is still going to be six feet seven feet most of the a, a good small a good small manageable size retic at 10 years old is eight feet i think is it eight feet eight feet but you got to realize a lean retic at eight feet um i i have a i have a a um i have a 50 percent super dwarf a that's seven feet and i can still hold them in one hand 
Gotcha. This is a good question right here um, from Serpent Eclipse. So as an industry, what do you think we need to do uh, to move forward to not only grow, but to be taken seriously by the larger population that isn't already in the hobby? So great question. Yeah, that is a good question. Adler, man, you always you always just just like enter my brain wavelengths and challenge me. <laughs> um, okay, so I think what we need to continue. I think what we need to do in terms of to be um, taken seriously by the larger population that isn't into. So, are you talking about the retic hobby or the reptile hobby? That that's a there's sorry. Yeah, that- because that's a, that's those are two those are two very different answers. So I guess answer for the reptile hobby and then for the retail hobby. Okay. Within so, the bigger reptile yeah. hobby. So what we need to do with the reptile hobby to be um both. Okay, cool. So I think what we need to continue to do for we here, pe- bro. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for people that are in the um <laughs> for, for uh, non-weirdos that don't like snakes um, or that aren't in the snake hobby or reptile industry. Educational shows. Like, it, it's, I think it's a dream of mine to be able to, like, you know, I have, I have one daughter. She's a year and a half old, and I cannot wait until she's in school, and I get to be that dad that comes and brings huge snakes to the class to show everyone because that's how i ended up falling in love i remember being in first grade and seeing a huge burmese python and was like damn like every kid is going to remember you and they're going to remember your daughter they will never forget it they'll no, be 80 never, years old never, and never forget, forget that, forget that. And, and i don't give a shit if they forget about me sorry for my language but i i, I, want, <laughs> them to, I want them to remember that they saw something so cool and awesome that day and so i think what we need to do is is spread passion and love in the younger community because that that's when the seeds are planted in here and they're not corrupted by by years of living in a society that that rejects snakes right absolutely and so if we can tackle and and be able to do shows with young kids like that's what we really if you have a passion and love of like really sharing your love like not all breeders have that not not all breeders have that a lot of breeders breeders just like to breed their animals because they love them, sell their animals. They run it like a business, which is nothing wrong with that. They have a passion for them, but some people just aren't, they don't care to inspire others. They don't care to, and and that's totally okay. Like if that's not your MO, but for those of you that have that calling and that know that you have a way of communicating with people in a way that you can get them to engage, listen, and be open-minded, you have to do your due diligence to get the young people to love our animals. Absolutely. Um, the more young people that we can get to love our animals, the more that we can um, in the future just spread awareness, right? Because right. I, I don't, I don't think there's, there's, um, like even you said uh, earlier talking about like I only got into snakes like two years ago, and just the way that you said that was like I know that's weird, right? Yeah. Because a lot of people are, are that that do this and breed now, they they've liked snakes since like they were young. Exactly. Yeah. It's a lot easier to change the mind of an innocent, sweet child than it is to change a stubborn 30 year old adult. Absolutely. hundred percent. Um, so advocation and, and connecting with kids. Um, there's a guy in the retail community that likes to lay low, uh, Richard Bilbo, Richard Bilbo takes his snakes basically weekly to a public park 
And I love seeing him upload the pictures of people that come by to see his animals. And, and yeah, he's had to deal with people calling authorities and, and people coming out and like, Ooh, what's going on here. But, but at the end of the day, if you can change one person's mind a day or even a week, you're changing 52 people's mind a year that snakes are not scary. Right. Um, and so, um, and I mean, and on top of that, uh, what, what, what I got to show my brother that this is a serious industry is when he, my brother was like an investor early on in helping me with getting the wild caught animals and everything. And I thank him. He's, he's a big reason why I'm even doing everything now. He helped me financially, um, at first, um, and he's now reaping the benefits. And so if you want to get someone who's like not scared of snakes, but to realize that we're a legitimate thing, like when you're making good money as a breeder, show them, show them your tax return. Like <laughs> there, there's money to be made breeding snakes. Um, if you are a smart businessman, you can make money. Um, so if you can generate revenue in a capitalistic country, what's not to be taken seriously? hundred percent, hundred percent. Um, and then, so, and then the other question, what can we do to be taken seriously as a retail community, uh, to, to show the other snake keepers and groups like Morelia, carpet pythons, ball pythons. And I really think what we need to do to be taken seriously and is, is really start to, um, we need to get on the same page. We have way too many people that are trying to scam people for, for selling Superdorf and Dorf retics. Um, we have way too many people that are arguing, uh, topics that are just really irrelevant. And what we're, what really sucks is that like what I would like to see the retail community do, especially now with the localities becoming so popular in the smaller, medium localities and even the large localities, because we can't import them. People are finally appreciating them is we need to find a way to get a way to track lineage and to start legitimizing the animals that we have. Right. Because if we okay. have, if we have, if we have, a trace of where this animal came from and kept coming from and kept coming from, then, then it's going to make us look a lot more legitimate. And like, we know what we're doing, like the, like the Morelia community who, you know, they're, they, you know, green. I feel like the Morelia community is like one of the best communities that are doing that. Yeah. They're, they're like literally on steroids of keeping records. They're like, this is, <laughs> this is, this is evil bred to, Satan and they, and, and they and they created they they have snakes that people are like oh my gosh did you know about like uh uh et nine four six and I'm like what what like, but that but that's the name of the snake like they they they're so on point and so yeah shout uh, out to the Morelia community yeah no they're awesome and and that was like my first love and passion were green tree pythons I have yet to own one but I read the complete Condro when I was like fourteen years old. <laughs> um i read a book about Bre there we go man <laughs> yes greg maxwell that that's man um i was a kid i got to meet him once um but but yeah i i read that book um and uh that was life-changing that's when i was like yeah i really I, I do love snakes i'm a 14 year old who doesn't read i play baseball and i'm reading a book about snakes what the hell are you doing <laughs> Um, so yeah, I think we just need a better way to, to track what we're doing because I, what's really happened with retics is, is prior to one thing that I really appreciate about what, what reach out reptiles has done for the hobby is they've, they've turned the hobby around to where it matters where your animals come from. 
Um, and that's going to increase value of your animals. And so, because before, man, people were inbreeding and doing this and doing that, and no one knew anything about their animals. They only cared about having a morph. Um, and in the ball python community, that's okay, because you guys still have new morphs coming in. You can still import morphs. Like, I cannot wait um, for Dave Kaufman's ball python movie to come out, because he's got some amazing footage that he gave us some information back some some sneak peek information on a uh, uh, Brian Cusco's Patreon live that I'm not going to share it because I want you guys to to watch the movie and and because I don't even know that much he didn't share that much but there's still new stuff coming in so for you guys to be morph driven that's what's keeping you alive and making good money um but for the Rita community we can't and the fact that there's anymore. so many morphs out there I mean not just new morphs but just so many morphs and so yeah. mathematically it's almost impossible to make every single morph this possible because there's so many out there to to leverage yeah and so what what we what we do is in retail community we i mean now that we can't import it's just like if you're not careful we're gonna drive ourselves out of the community because we're just gonna keep inbreeding 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 and and, and eventually it is going to impact um the the quality of the animals so you, you touched on you mentioned the podcast a couple times, and so I had some questions about that too. So uh, I guess first, tell us a little bit about the podcast, um, the kind of guests you have, and what your goals are with the podcast, and, and all the background for it. Yeah, so we are doing uh, so. Me and a close friend, my boy Nathan Katz, uh, not Katz, Stephen Katz, not Stephen Katz, but. Nathan Katz, <laughs> at, at Katz Reptiles, we are doing a. Um, we are doing a primarily it's a reticulated it's called the retic ah should i reveal that ah i will it's called the re, it's called the, it's called the retic lounge if someone manages to create a podcast called the retic lounge within 2 weeks before we launch our first episode i will find you um <laughs> pull up right it's it's called it's called the retic lounge and and the reason why we called it the retic lounge is because when i think about lounging and sitting back i'm sitting back with like my boys and friends in the community and so what we're really trying to do is is create a community for new keepers and keepers that want to be new breeders and start to get into breeder to breeding to ride along our journey with us in learning about these animals we we don't think we're experts um, we, we constantly are making mistakes, um, and we just want to have a place where newcomers can get good information, um, share their information on how they do things, um, and, and talk about basic keeping. And it, it's basically just a real life inside view of what it is to keep these animals, whether it's a super dwarf, dwarf, mainland. Um, and so we are going to be, uh, so will it, it will it be you and Nathan um, just kind of talking, or we all have guests on too? Yeah, so we're gonna we have like different structures, and we're just gonna kind of do them randomly and try to have a uniform set. But we're gonna have so we're gonna have breeding topics that me and him talk about. We're going to. <laughs> <laughs> I will hunt them down. Love it. Uh, so we're gonna have breeding topics because me and him are new breeders, and so we want to discuss and talk about like breeding. Um, we're gonna have we're gonna have like a husbandry series. Okay. <clears throat> We're going to have a husbandry series where we, um, <clears throat> excuse me, where we go over basic husbandry stuff and get into more complex stuff. Um, 
and then we are going to about once a month have a guest on. Okay. And, and that guest is going to be anywhere from a very experienced individual um, to someone who's – so what we really want to do is get the new keepers on, hear okay. their perspective, and give them a voice and, and, and allow them an opportunity to come on, ask questions, share who they are, be able to get some public recognition because everyone's trying to make it. It's a struggle. It's a grind, right? Um, yeah, it's definitely growing. <clears throat> so um, we want to give them a voice, and we just want to create a community where where people who want to help advance the community can can do that together. So we're gonna have <coughs> man. I'm getting over a sickness, by the way. <clears throat> so yeah, that was me two three weeks ago. It, yeah, it was rough. It took me a good week or so to shake it. I'm going on two weeks now. The first week I was out of commission. I didn't go to work. Um, wasn't doing well. I tested negative for COVID, but okay. I don't know what it was. But um, Yeah, so, I went to uh, Pennsylvania and nothing against the folks in Pennsylvania, but like um, it was a plane trip and probably like a day after I got back, I started feeling like pretty drowsy, pretty, pretty, pretty lousy and drowsy. And it took me about a week or so to shake it, so. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping I get over this thing real soon. But um, so, yeah, so we are going to be having it's a video podcast that we're going to be uploading the video onto YouTube. But then we're also going to be just uploading audio to all major podcast platforms. OK, um, our first uh, interview guest was Brian Cusco. He also did oh, the nice. in, he did the intro and outro music um, for the podcast. So nice. that, was, that was really fun to collaborate with him and do that. Um and then uh, we're going to also have a Patreon and have some uh, low-level tiers for people to just come and be, again, part of the community. Uh, depending on the tier, you'll get access to, to Zoom calls, um, get access to, uh, at the very highest tier, you can get uh, things like discounts on animals that we produce. Um, and then, um, you know, basically just, again, trying to really create a community, and I think Patreon is the place to do that. Okay, you have a Discord associated with it too. So we we were the thing about having a Discord is is it kind of needs like a moderator. You need to make sure that like it's it's someone's there to kind of keep it in check. And um, I don't know if either of us have really time for that. But but the, the big point of the Discord as well is to do a Q and A. So to post a Q and A so that all of our subscribers. In our Patreons can can ask questions that will be featured on a Q and A episode, um, and then also that just it's good for content, right? Because if you see a question continue to pop up and pop up, you can do an entire segment, right? Gotcha. Episode. So I will say, um, based on the Patreons that I'm in and the related discords for each of those Patreons, it is it's not like Facebook, like because Facebook can be like super toxic. Yeah, no kidding. Whereas the Patreons that I'm in, it's folks that are like trying to learn, trying to have like good energy about themselves and, and they're not trying to like fuck up their name. Um, and so I don't know if it takes that much moderation. Just I'm all for it. Uh, again, I'm all for it because the entire purpose of this is just to create a community of new keepers, new breeders to be able to learn together. Because I've seen zero drama in discords and I'm trying to think like and I've only been doing Patreons for probably a little over a year now. Okay. Like probably thirteen or fourteen months, give or take. Yeah, I'm in I'm in zero uh, drama. 
I'm in a few right now. I don't think I've seen any any either. Um, but Facebook is a different story. Facebook yeah. groups different. Story. No kidding. Um, people aren't paying to be there. Though, so yeah, exactly. Different energy. Different energy. So, <laughs> that's that's actually very true. Um, and yeah, and I guess a Discord would definitely be um, a, a, definitely a value to give people who are going to pay. Um, so so yeah, I mean, so we're going to have Q and A's from the Patreon. Um, we're going to have interviews uh, with with people that are new and people that have been keeping, um, even people that aren't big on retics but maybe have one, but they're ball private. So that was like Brian Cusco, right? So Brian Cusco has has a handful of retics, um, maybe more or less, but. Um, but yeah, he's he's not known for being a retic keeper, um, and so getting him on to see what his his real life experience of having retics are, and like we asked him challenging questions, like, you know, you have retics, why aren't you breeding them? And so just inside stuff like that. Okay. Uh, and then uh, yeah, and then breeding topics, husbandry one on one topics, um, and yeah. So, you say a couple of weeks is coming up. That's that's the goal. So right now we're it's a pre-recorded. Um, we'll do we'll do probably some lives. Um, not all of them will be live. If we do a live, it'll probably be like a live Q and A or just like gotcha. um, a live allowing people to come in and just ask questions and things like that. But um, so will there be so, a regular cadence for when you drop episodes, or is this kind yeah, of like um, every Friday? Work? Every Friday. Okay. Every Friday. So we're my my goal right here, and and I'm actually after I do this, we're going to record an episode. Um, and I am, I, I pushed for yesterday. He said, now nah, let's get a couple more edited and under our belt. So I, I think by this point, I, I'm really going to push for the 30th because I want to start marketing a week out. Uh, what or, are you I'm sorry, using the 29th. The so I, so we're using uh river stream FM to record. So it's very s- similar to Streamyard. Um, okay. And as a matter of fact, being on StreamYard right now, I kind of like this setup a little bit more than River, River Stream. But so we're using that, and then for post edit production, um, we're using. Uh, uh, I've been doing it so far. He's waiting to get an upgraded laptop in order to help out. But I am using Filmora Pro. So it does Filmora Wonderland Pro, Filmora Eleven. It does like. Is it Filmora? Filmora, F I L M O R A. It okay. does. It does about like eighty five percent of what Final Cut Pro and Adobe Premiere can do, but it's literally only eighty bucks a year. Nice. <laughs> As opposed How, to like three hundred. of use. It's it's meant for beginners. Oh really? Because like, so I've got like the Adobe Suite, not because I pay for it, but because I I can log on my work login. <laughs> but um, that, I use that's like a hookup. Yeah, that's the hookup. <laughs> so I use like Adobe. What is it called? Adobe Quick. Premiere. Uh, not the Premiere. Premiere. It is Premiere, but it's not the the the, the full. Yeah. It's yeah. Premiere Rush. I just had to pull it up real quick. Okay. And so like that's easy, but it doesn't do a lot. Like I would say it probably does twenty five percent. Yeah. What I... like Premiere does, and Premiere is just like way above my head. Yeah, I, I I I love using Filmora. I I have like anything that I could ever want and need, uh, because I don't I don't need I'm not making a movie, right? So I don't need Final Cut Pro. I don't need Adobe Premiere, but everything I could ever want and need and more is in Filmora Pro, and it is super super affordable and easy. Yeah. You say it's eighty dollars a year? Yeah, it's eighty bucks a year. Oh yeah, that's not bad at all. No, yeah, and they have a and they have a free version for you to mess around if you want. Yeah, 
Yeah, I have to look into that because, like I said, I don't need Adobe Premiere, and it's way above my head. Yeah. Yes, sir. Adobe so, Cloud so we're, is. We're Yeah, Adobe is something that I probably, um, yeah, I don't know. If we get a good Patreon and I have money and I, I want to, you know, fiddle around and play with it, but they don't allow you to buy it full out in a year. They, they, it's like 30 bucks a month and that's, that's 30 bucks a month. Yeah, it's 30 bucks a month. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I like to be good at Adobe, but I, I'm just not there yet. It's a lot. It's a lot. Um, let me see. I'm going through the comments. See if anybody any asked any other. Someone said some is free and open source for a video editor. Mm-hmm. Oh, Caden Live. Yeah. So you spoke about um having a husbandry centered episode, and so that's one of the questions that I was going to ask you about, like the husbandry uh, for for your retics and kind of. How, how you keep those because you got well, about 20 and so um speak a little bit about your setup and and the yeah. routine with that keeping it up to speed yeah so i um so i used to keep my retakes with a gradient so like most people do where you have a, a hot spot that's regulated by heat tape and um and a thermostat but i i um what i decided to do when I uh, made the money for my first clutch this year that I got to sell was I uh, put a lot of money and I converted my garage. I re-insulated all the walls um, with blow foam insulation, got a mini split. And so uh, I have a humidifier, a dehumidifier, an air purifier. And what I'm doing is basically I'm recreating Indonesia in my garage. I don't have a single hot spot in my entire garage. Little window. Uh, yeah, exactly. I, I, I don't have a, a I don't have a, a hot spot in my entire garage, and I'm using ambient temps. So, I I allow a gradient from about eighty to eighty and a half degrees that climbs up throughout the day to about eighty four and a half degrees, eighty five at the most. I get notifications when my when my sensors are at eighty four point five, and then I'll flip the AC on, and then I'll start to climb back down throughout the day. And so I have these like day and night cycles of temperatures that are beautiful. And um, I kick up the humidity during the wet season, AKA breeding season. Uh, so right now the humidity in my enclosures is about like 70%. Um, okay. And um, during the dry season will be about 50%. So what kind and of enclosures so, um, do you have? Do you have like, like PVC enclosures, because I imagine they get too big for any kind of racks. Yeah, so I, I I'm I'm doing my best to. That's going to be my next successful breeding season. I'm going to be trying to get away completely from racks. So I have hatchling racks, and I don't care what anyone says. <coughs> if you're going to breed retics, good luck keeping like sixty babies in little cube enclosures because you're going to have no space. You're going to need a massive warehouse. So like baby racks are ideal for babies that are insecure feeding them. So I have a baby rack and then I have a grow up rack um, that is for um, holdbacks, things like that until they get big enough to get into enclosures. But yeah, I have PVC enclosures, but what I prefer is actually ABS um, plastic. And um, I have, so my favorite and the only enclosure that I will buy moving forward, they're called jungle cages. So they come already chemically well together. 
um, I can stand on top and jump on mine and it does not break. It has nice. a ma- it has a massive, massive shelf on the inside of the enclosure for more enrichment, for climbing, for sitting on, for chilling. Uh, uh, and what I didn't realize until this year is that my Kaiwadi is using that shelf as her little, um, I decided to put Repti Chip up on that shelf and sh- I guarantee you she lays on that shelf. Word. Okay. Um, so that's that's like their little breeding box. Uh, their, so do their you box. use like cocoa throughout the whole bottom of the enclosure? Because I know some people they may do like cocoa on one side, and maybe like wax paper or some kind of paper on the other side. How do you set set that up? I, I've used just about every substrate as possible. And what I've been using lately is paper um, on the bottom, and the reason why is because when you get to when you start to own retakes in between eight to fourteen feet. Um, each time that they pee, you got a gallon of urine that they pee. And so, yeah, you can spot clean, but the, the time and effort that it takes to actually make sure that you're disinfecting when you're using a certain bedding, um, is, is extremely time consuming. And so I kind of just changed my mindset in the set of like, yeah, paper is not as aesthetically appealing as, as chip or mulch or anything like that. Um, but what's great about it is that I guess it's a lack of enrichment to have paper on the bottom, but what's great about it is they get enrichment because I take them out two to three times a week to clean their enclosure. Good point. And what's cool is I have an open garage where I have my snakes and on a, on, on a day where like everything is organized and put together, um, especially for the smaller enclosures, I can literally take them out, put them on the floor, clean their enclosure, let them knock shit down all over the place, <laughs> grab them and put them back in the cage. So, so yeah, I've, I've gravitated towards paper. I think it's just, um, more convenient. Um, and, uh, it, it allows me to interact with them more. I have to be in my garage more. And if you're going to be a breeder, if you're going to be a breeder, the only way you're going to be successful is if you spend time in your snake room. And you know your animals, especially right. with retics. Yeah, uh, I'll speak to retics. Um, and it's, it's only... even that way with ball pythons. Um, you can be a lot more successful the more you know your animals and knowing what to look for, um, observing your animals so you don't you don't miss that kind of stuff. So yeah, definitely. Yeah, and the way that I do that, I keep them on paper so that I'm checking who peed and who pooped. So that way, I could just take them out real quick, replace paper, wipe down. Um, so yeah, so I. I all of my enclosures, every single one of my enclosures have at least one shelf um, because I like to provide them with different variations and levels and it allows them to move around, get more exercise. Um, and I, 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 my philosophy on husbandry for them is give them the best that you can provide them, give them the biggest that you can provide them. And then if you have a an occasion that your animal does not like big enclosures because some retakes feel very insecure, um, then you you take a step back and you give it a smaller enclosure. So when the retakes are feeling insecure, and again, ball pythons are kind of my frame of reference. I mean, I keep other snakes, but ball pythons primarily. When a ball python is insecure, it may be defensive and it's probably not going to eat. Is is it the same way with the retics, or is it more so they're just defensive, but they're still going to eat regardless? 
No, nah, they're defensive. Um, I, I very, very rarely will a retic refuse food. If you have a retic that's that's consistently refusing food, you either have one, a female that's building follicles and going off of food and wanting to breed, or two, something's wrong with your animal. Um, and and so if your husbandry is on point, there's zero reason for a retic to not eat. In my right. experience, that's what um, I figured. Yeah, because with I know with ball python, and what's crazy is that I kept ball pythons growing up. Never had a finicky eater ever, <laughs> and then, and then now that I don't keep them, I hear about everyone talking about how much of a pain they are to get to eat sometimes. <laughs> so, I don't have a bunch of finicky eaters. I don't really have any finicky eaters per se. I've I've had some that were finicky. Um, like I got one in. This has probably been like six or seven months ago or something like that. But she didn't eat for the first few months she was here. And then I ended up giving her some, it's this supplement called Da Vinci supplement. I gave her the Vinci supplement and then she's been eating ever since. I have had males go off of food during the breeding season here recently, but like now all of those are even back on food. So I don't have any that consistently don't eat, um, okay. but it was primarily like my males during the breeding season. And then I did have that one girl when she first came, I don't, I don't know what it was, but she, she's a, she kills food now. <laughs> you have to be careful. Like, um, she's one of those ones that's right at the front of the tub when you open it on feeding day now. Yeah, no, I mean, and, and that, yeah, that's how retics are, especially when you get into, like, I have, I would say less than half of my retic collection, like, aren't, they're, they're not, I would say majority of my retic collection, as soon as that door opens, like, you better have food ready. Um, <laughs> And, and if you don't, you better have a hook. So that's the next thing about husbandry. Always have a hook. If you don't have a hook, you're you're in your only retics. Um, good luck. What kind of hook you use? Uh, what a, brand? Yeah, A.E. Stoney. A. Have you e. heard Stoney. of him? Uh, I haven't. Um, A.E. Stoney. I, I ran into them about like four months ago and bought a bunch of them. I'll never go back to Venom Life. I'll never go back to, to hooks.com or tongs.com, whatever it is. Um, they are polycarbonate hooks. Okay. So what they do is they they stay room temp. Or or not room temp. They they don't get cold like metal hooks. So like if you if for anybody that owns a retic, especially a larger retic, if you put a metal hook up to that retic skin, the first thing it does is this. It's like, ah, that was cold. What the heck did yeah. you just do? Like, what, what is that? Real get it off me. <laughs> so these are polycarbonate, so they don't get cold. Um, so that it they're really unique. They're really cool. Um This is AE Stony. Yeah, AE Stony. Someone asked in the comments here if I use um if I use UV for my animals. Um I do not. I am interested in it though. I'm actually in the process of researching. Um, my my concern, if I can, um, if I can get, if 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 UV lighting does not add heat to an enclosure at all, I'm not talking about like heat, like a like a ceramic heat emitter or a radiant heat panel. But if they don't add temperature, I'm down. But the the issue is with me keeping ambient and not a hot spot is that um, I'm using very good sensors to keep a very specific temperature that's within the garage. And if I'm using any lighting that creates heat inside the enclosure, 
my temperatures in the enclosure are going to be different than the garage that can mess with breeding and cycling. Gotcha. So you said you had some ball python questions? Uh, yeah, I have one question. Okay. One, just a single one question. Shoot. Money's not an issue. Let, let, that's the hypothetical here. Uh, okay. Because money is always an issue, but if money's not an issue, um, what do you think is the best turnaround investment in the ball python industry? If you were, let's say me, I don't own any ball pythons, and I told you that I want to get three ball pythons. Money's not an issue, but also don't be like, don't don't tell me to go get a twenty thousand dollars snake. Um, don't do that. Okay, um, so what's I just gonna, took like, what, the first ones that I was thinking of off, off the table. <laughs> what, what, yeah, so what? What's I mean? Don't get me wrong. Like, yeah, I can buy a twenty thousand dollars snake, but like, is there an animal that is is not as expensive as that that's going to return a similar percentage? So, I would say, and this is so it's going to you're going to ask different people, you're going to get different answers. I would really focus more so on, on projects. And when I say projects, I'm, I'm thinking more in terms of the recessives because I feel like that, the recessives, that's where yeah, the, money's at. the recessives hold their value for much longer. And so yeah, right now, the industry are balling. Yeah. Right now, <laughs> the industry and the industry is trending more and more into the recessive space, whether that's double recessives, triple recessives. I remember when like. a banana ball Python was 25 K I've heard, I've heard those stories. I've heard those stories. And so I would say invest in a double or triple recessive project, right? And so um, if, you, if you're not wanting to be like, yeah, like Desert Ghost Clown is a hot project right now. A lot of people are in it. I'm in it myself, um, but it's a hot project right now. And there's a lot to be done with because Clown, Clown does so much. It has so many like different reactions with so many of like the other codom genes that are out there. And so you can do a lot with clown and then when you stack that desert ghost on top of it you're just taking it to the next level and then desert ghost um it ages so well that's compared my favorite to, thing about desert ghost is it doesn't brown out yeah yeah and so desert ghost just takes your clown projects to the next level so i would say desert ghost clown is another project uh, is a project that's really cool uh hypo clown is a project that's really cool a lot of people sleep on hypo um it gets a lot of hate from from some people, but hypo is a really really dope gene, and those animals age well too. And then one of my favorite projects right now is the Ultramel Clown project. I would say get into Ultramel Clown. I, I really like what Ultramel Clown does. Um, um, Ultramel just has this nice, beautiful, like creamy, it, exactly, to it. exactly, and just like the sweet colors, and then you. Um, throwing like dark codoms and stuff and so like just makes those purples even darker and so what i want to do is i want to get desert ghost into the ultra male clown project and so that'll be like a triple recessive so yeah um those are the projects that i'm focusing on right now the most um a little bit of pie clown um but pie clown is it's it's secondary to those other three projects i would say I, it's crazy how prevalent pied still is in ball pythons yeah. it's been around forever it's such an eye-catching animal, right? It really so is. For, especially for non-snake people, right? Like, I've got people that are terrified of snakes that I know that see the, the, the pods, and then next thing you know, they're my DMs. Like, and they always preface it with, I don't like snakes, but that's a really nice snake. <laughs> yep, yep. Um, no, I agree. And, and one thing that I, I can't stand 
hearing this, but people are always like, man, the ball Python market is, is dying. The ball Python market is dead. And I'm like, you need to wake up. Not at all. You, you need to like ball pythons are hotter now than they ever have been. And it, 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 I mean, I've never seen the ball Python market like go down. Like it just, it's a steady, just increase, increase. Now I've seen the, I've seen markets on individual morphs. Like we talk about banana now, where if you go to any given show on a Sunday, you could probably get a banana for 125 bucks. Yeah. Um, you know, but, but, um, yeah, when it comes to recesses, man, like one thing that I just appreciate so much about the ball Python community that isn't, uh, that you don't see in the retail community is that people in the ball Python community, they see the smallest, slightest change. They selectively breed for a different trait, and then they're able to come up with a new morph. Whereas retic people don't do that. That is, that's just now people are starting to get into selectively breeding for secondary and, and, and polygenic traits. People didn't do that back then. And, oh, really? Like ball python breeders have been doing that since like the 90s. They're like, oh, that alien head looks different. Let me just like try to enhance that alien head to look different. And, and, and now they have a new morph. It's like, right. what? And that's how you get like different lines of uh, specific right. morphs that are just like, that pop so much more than other people's lines. Like Barnhart Black Pastel is one that I can think of right off the top of my head. Or Ellis exactly. Virus, another one. Like it just has a whole different pop to it. Yeah. I, I lied. I got one more question. Good. Do exanthic ball pythons end up just like becoming dull as adults in lanes? So I don't own any um, exanthics. I've seen pictures of adult exanthics and they seem to be pretty browned out, but I can't speak from like any hands on experience. Okay. Um, but this is just so based phenomenal on as I've babies. Seen. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm, I'm scared that they like, would brown out. Yeah, I've seen um, exanthic adults and, and not to hate on exanthic people. So don't take this as it did. But I've seen like axanthic adults that were like super brown that it was like ah not into yeah. it. But um, yeah. Eric, I like axanthic, but I'm just trying. I'm trying to limit my recessives. Yeah. Um, DG axanthic clown. I don't know if you saw the one that Justin produced, but that's really 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 nice. I gotta look at it. Yeah. So um, some people in the chat say it depends on the line of the axanthic. Eric also said and the so different many, lines vary and some hold their silver more. I yeah, and I'm sure that that's definitely true. Um, and again, that just goes from selectively breeding, right? Um, and so um, I, I like the comment that that Eric made. He said, uh, "So many new genetics that I've yet to be mixed into a lot still." And that that's yeah, the, yeah. that's that's the amazing thing about the ball python industry. Me that I don't own one. I can literally go and buy three animals and make a world's first. Right, like that, right. that. That's the crazy thing about ball pythons. There's so many opportunities. The and mathematics of it is just crazy, and that's even factoring into like genetics that you can't you can't pair together because of uh, deformities and um, being a lethal pairing. But even taking all that out of the equation, the mathematics are still crazy, and there's just so much out there to make. And then combine uh, when you think about finding new genes and then just stacking recessives and just all the different things that you can do. It's just so much to do. And it's like, you're, you're just, you're chasing. And so that, that makes it like super exciting. No, it, it's great. And what I love about ball Python breathers, they're very, very selective and specific and method. Like they're, they're, 
they're methodic. They like they they're very calculated. Where I can't tell you how many people are just like I'm gonna buy a retic and put it with my other retic and I'm gonna make retics. Um, you know, maybe there's ball python breeders like that too. Um, maybe I'm just being a, a negative person, but but <laughs> I do I do see a lot of people just killing the ball python game, and I have so much respect for the ball python game. They're really, uh, they they they're setting the example on how to make an industry thrive. So this animal doesn't exist, I don't think, but I would love to see what a, and I'm not, I'm not giving away like all the things I'm working on, but I would love to see a black pastel, uh, leopard spot nose, confusion, ultra male clown. You lost me at, at like, <laughs> I'm with you. <laughs> or any black pastel confusion, ultra male clown combo. I think that'll be so dope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, I I know a lot of the individual animals when it comes to the individual morphs, but when it comes to combining them, I have zero clue what they look like. Yeah. Um, it's, but, it's so much to, to keep up with, and and trust me, I'm still like very much so a novice in the, in this space, and I'm learning every day. But like you said, knowing the individual morphs, but then once you start combining them, then it gets a little tougher. And there's some like combos that you're more familiar with that you see or you've worked with or you know people who work with it that you can like quickly pick up on. But then there's others, whether it's one that hasn't been made much or one that kind of reacts differently kind of based on like um, the characteristics of that genetics. And so sometimes it's just, it's just hard. And so um one of the terms that Ozzy has kind of coined is like uh, theoretical IDs, because a lot of times um, you, you're making your best educated guess as to what's in it, kind of based on your experience, based on what you know about how these different uh, genetics interact with each other. But it's hard to be 100% certain when this is the first time that the world has even seen this, right? And so 100%. you just gotta, you gotta do your best. 100%. Um, there's a big conversation going on right now about genetic testing. Um, so that's ramping up. And so I don't know how far we're out. We could be one year from it, two years from it, three years from it. There's Which already one? some recessives that they can test for. That would but be game changing. At some point, it's probably going to be fairly commonplace. And so, um, so again, a- just the ball python community redefining and taking the industry to just another level like people people sleep on the amazing things the ball python community do like and i say that coming from the retic community because there's so many big-headed balloon people in the retic community that are like i keep retics i keep big animals (laughs) you guys keep pet rocks and it's like okay like listen they're they're literally doing (laughs) this correctly take job i pull this pet rock and if you see the (laughs) roi of these rocks That's exactly what I'm saying. So no, that I cannot wait for that. I think we're also working on that on the back end here with retics as well, but it's going to be a lot longer. Yeah. So, but yeah, that that's cool. That's that's actually really exciting, and it's cool that that you're thinking that way and you're kind of like thinking outside of the box and kind of what what you can pull from these other um, species and, and the breeders in those particular um, hobbies and, and apply to what you're doing. So that, that's a good way to think about it. We have to. It's the only way we're going to get better and the only way we're going to grow. If we stay within our own community, we can only hit a certain level. And and I think the retail community has already hit that level. And there have been people that have now just started to grow and take our, our the retics to a different level once the, the Superdorf and Dorf stuff started to become uh, 
become popular, um, someone asked a question that I love being asked, and I think you popped it up here on the chat. It was like, if money was not an issue, what what would your dream animal be? Yeah, I saw that one. Um, I don't know that I answered it, or maybe that was the question that I was responding to when I was talking about um, the black pastel confusion ultramarine clown combos. Okay, can I answer? Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Black pastel confusion. No, I'm joking. All right. So, <laughs> like my dream animal, if money was not an issue, would be two of them. Um uh and and yeah, genetics nerd. Um forward genetics, definitely the best option. Um so mine would be so if money was not an issue, because I like if I wanted to get my dream snake right now, I, I could literally buy it right now. It's a green anaconda. But, oh, nice. but I want to, I don't want to do the minimum for that animal. I want to get that animal a, a walk-in with a water reservoir that I could drain and pump through and clean out and like, just, just really do that. I, I want a massive rock wall with a waterfall going into it that has a big water reservoir where it still has plenty of land. Um, man, I, that will happen in my lifetime. I, I'm committed any, to doing that. So like in Florida, as I'm sure you know, there's a lot of animals that are banned and then we got like just this crazy guy who, who, who heads up FWC here and he's just he's just wow. But um are there any animals banned in Texas? Um I'm sure there are, but if there are, I'm more than so I, I don't quote me, this is not a fact, but when I was going through the paperwork, because in order to keep retics and to keep a lot of species um in in Texas, you need to have a permit. Okay. But the permit is literally you go to Walmart, you go to the back, you go to the back of Walmart to where they sell the guns and the rifles and you and you ask for an exotic species permit and they give it to you. And there's there's a keepers and there's a, a commercial permit. Okay. Um, and what that does is that anytime that you sell an animal, you just need to document it so that anytime if you're ever questioned about it, you have trace of where you're sending it to and all that stuff. And to me, Texas does that. That, that's a good thing to do. A lot of people are like, oh, freedom of keeping these animals. But it's like, no, because at the end of the day, like some people are stupid and neglectful. So for a state to say that, like, now nah, we're going to just keep a tiny little eye on you, but just to make sure that you guys are doing things and we have like a standard, I think that's not a bad thing. I think it's a terrible thing for the federal government to say you can't have any of these animals. But at the end of the day, like to have a little bit of regulation to make sure that like, the right people are going to own these animals because there are requirements. You need to keep a lock on the door. If you're going to sell them, you need to have a, an exchange and you need to submit it annually who you're selling your animals to. Um, but I'm pretty sure any animals that are not permitted to keep as pets are local uh, endangered animals. Gotcha. Yeah. And, and that makes sense. That makes perfect sense. Yeah, but everything else, like I can keep an anaconda, I can keep a, a bow, I can keep a Burmese, I can keep an African rock, I can keep, I just can't keep wildlife that's in Texas that is threatened or endangered. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense because, I mean, if you allow folks to keep that wildlife, like, in the wild, like, people are going to be taking them from the wild, and then that just endangers them even more. It makes their likelihood for survival, like, even less likely. So, so that makes perfect sense. 
exactly. Um, so yeah, that would be my dream animal and something, like I said, I can literally go and buy an anaconda and have it next week, but I, I don't want to own you. People don't really realize how aquatic anacondas are. <laughs> um, and so, um, and I don't bash people for the way that they're keeping them now. Listen, I'm not, I'm not one to, I'm not judgmental with people that keep their animals the way that they do. And they're a little bit old school. They keep them in smaller enclosures. What I am trying to do is encourage new keepers and also encourage those old breeders to try to think outside the box and just try to provide the best that you can for your animals. Even if that means cutting your 500 animal collection down to 300, like just like try to do the best that you absolutely can, which is why I will not own an anaconda until I know I have that kind of setup and I'm ready to provide it with like the most like again, excuse my language, badass enclosure ever. Hey, you can you can cut some here too. <laughs> I should uh address that like in the housekeeper stuff, but feel free. Um it's funny because um when you set up the YouTube videos, there's this there's this option that says is this for kids or yeah. this is not for kids. Like you have to hit like uh the Yeah, I always check it's not for kids because I, I don't want YouTube to market these videos to kids because I know what might come out my mouth. I know it might come out the guest mouth. So just, no, nah, this is not for kids. <laughs> okay. Um, th- there's other conversations for kids, but if this there's kids listening earmuffs. <laughs> and sh- if the kids were like I was back in the day, they probably said half this stuff already. Anyway, <laughs> no, 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 I'm aware. I just, for anybody listening, it's just kind of a respect thing, but yeah, I, I'll say every cuss word in the book. Anyways, um, <laughs> Man, so many good freaking Yeah, This is a great question by Genetics Nerd. Um, you want to hit that one first? Uh, yeah, let me read it. So what's one thing about the industry that you wish would improve slash change? What's one thing you are grateful for? Um, so one thing about the industry that I wish that would improve um, is that, like, I don't think people realize whether you're in the retail community, the ball python community, the green tree python community, it doesn't matter what community you're in. We're all in the same community because right now our rights are being stripped from us. Florida right now is under heavy attack. North Carolina, Rayleigh, heavy attack. And this is just the beginning. And so one thing that I wish that would improve is that we all just had each other's backs and just treated each other like equals and stop having these egos that, oh, because I keep water monitors and they're harder to keep, I, I'm better than you that keeps the ball python. Or like they, they just had a conference down in Florida, or I think it's about to happen, excuse my ignorance on that, where like some of the top reptile people in the entire world are getting together in Orlando to have this massive big conference and this is the first time ever anything has happened like that. And I'm like, why? Why is that the yeah. first time that this has happened? Like, we should be doing this. We need to find a way to all get on the same page and really just like, I mean, at the end of the day, we all have that inner child in us that, that, that well, besides you, Mike, because you got into snake two years ago. But we all have <laughs> that inner kid in us. <laughs> we all have that inner kid in us that, that, um, it's all the same. We have a love and passion for these animals. So let's, let's, that, that's the one thing that, that I would like to see about the community change is we all start to look at each other, all breeders, all industries, all keepers. We're all on the same level. No one is better than one or another. 
Yeah, um, I will say it feels like I'm reliving my childhood, just kind of growing in this hobby, just right? like getting exposure to this. So, um, and then the kids still there. And then, what's the one thing you're grateful for? Man, I'm grateful for way too many things, but to be honest, um, in this moment, super grateful for you having me on here, the opportunity to talk, hang out. Um, I, I watching your videos. Um, I was like, I need to reach out to the student, just have a conversation because I feel like me and him could be boys. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. And so, um, grateful for you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Everybody in the comments, I'm grateful for all of you. You guys have been super engaging and, um, yeah, tonight has been awesome so far. Absolutely. A hundred percent. I fully concur with that. Um, it's funny that you said what you said, because like mine was going to touch on the same point. So uh, to start with, like what can improve, what could change is what I don't like to see is like drama and people kind of going back and forth and people just like not being unified. It's not just in the reptile community, it's in any walk of life, just in general. So I do want to see uh, more more unity in that space, because you're right, 100 percent right. Like. It's not just the ball python folks. It's not just the retic folks. It's not just the berm folks. It's not just um, the various uh, species of monitors and the tegus and, and all of that. It, it's it's everybody because there's there's people out here who don't want to see any of us keeping any of these animals. And they're, they're trying gonna, to take your ferrets. Right. They're trying to take <laughs> everything. I mean, it's it's not even just reptiles, but amphibians, um, birds, like just anything exotic is almost everything but dogs and cats. And there's probably there's there's groups of people who don't want you to have dogs and cats, but dogs and cat people, um, they got a little bit, I feel like, more power. Um, and so it's kind of harder to fight those folks because those are like domesticated animals and it's just like common, but it's they feel like we're an easy target and it's easy for them to play off of folks' fears and, and, and the xenophobia and things of that nature. So yeah. I definitely feel like we should we should come together. And so it's funny because like the flip side of it is one of the things I'm grateful for. And so I'm grateful for like this community um, that within our circle, um, I can't speak for everybody, but certainly within our circle, there's been just like crazy, 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 crazy support, hella positive energy, hella mad, good vibes and all of that and so it's just been so great like i've never been in anything that's even come close to the, the positive energy that i've experienced in this circle and so you're it's, killing it's, it man it's it's it, it's wonderful and um i mean it's, it's everybody um i don't want to like leave anybody off but uh keys constrictors lady tiz exotics reggie's urban jungle Wiz constrictors, uh, ebony and ivory reptiles, 41 South Pythons, 41 South Frenchies. I mean, it's just like everybody in the community. And I don't want to leave anybody else. So all of the usual suspects, but there's just a ton of people who are showing like all kinds of support. And I've never seen anything like that. And I really and truly believe that it's going to be what kind of saves it. Like people are going to see like these people, this group of people like unified, working together, how all of the good energy surrounds them and they're just going to take notice because you, you can't ignore it because it's, it's there. It is, it is what it is. And so that's the thing that I'm most thankful for because I'm learning so much. I feel like I'm part of a family. It's just, it, it's yes. been wonderful. Um, yeah. Then being here and meeting new people and kind of like adding new people to that circle. Um, I'm, I'm thankful for this opportunity to, to speak tonight because 
if it wasn't for reptiles, if it weren't for the show, we probably wouldn't have this opportunity to kind of kick it and talk and get to know exactly. each other. So this is just like, it's super cool. There's just so many things to be thankful for. I'll, I'm one of those people who always try tries to look and see what can I be thankful for? What are the positives? Because I'd rather focus on the positive things. But I mean, there's just so many, um, but that's just one that just kind of stands out. 100%. Appreciate you asking that question, Jedi. Snurdy. Yeah, that was a great, that's that was so a great. Important. Yeah. So, so important to touch on that because again, we can focus on the positive and if you focus on the positive and what this community does for us, there's, there's only good to look at. Um, but yeah, and I mean, just, just speaking about all that positivity and, and how important it is to, to unify and everything guys, I, I, I've said this on every single one of the, the podcast episodes that we have recorded, um, that we're going to be launching. But if any of you guys are not a member of us arc message me. If you cannot afford a bronze, silver, gold membership, message me. Let's talk. Let's make something happen. We'll, we'll make it happen. We need numbers. If you guys have Absolutely. not, if you haven't subscribed to US Arc's YouTube page, it's so important that the, that that YouTube page has. I mean, man. Okay, we we have like eighteen thousand group members in the Retic Nation Facebook group. I cannot imagine how many ball python keepers there are out there in the united states let alone retic keepers and all these other keepers and i think that page still i haven't looked i'll look at my phone right now but the amount of subscribers that that page has right now it's upsetting to me the the us art page yeah like one, it was like four and some change last time i looked i think yeah 6.4k subscribers why why like that that to me so please go subscribe go like the videos because here's what happens if we're if we're put in a corner those social media numbers mean so much um and, and just yeah we all need to have each other's back we're all grateful for one another and, and the the yeah like you mentioned just the ability to connect um with you tonight and everybody who's been engaged has been um a blessing it's been great and the other thing too that that I always speak on, it's hard to just say one thing because there's so many things, but I always say I owe these snakes like so, so much just because working with these snakes has taught me a lot about myself. It's taught me patience. It's given me just something to shoot for because like now I have all these goals that I didn't have before. It's an opportunity for like me and my wife to connect on something different and grow something different. Um, it's an opportunity to meet all these different people. So there's just so many things. Um, actually even getting in front of people because I'm not like a person that naturally goes in front of a lot of people and, and speaks and just that's just not me. Like I'm 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 the kind of person that I rather just kind of sit back in the cut, observe everybody else and just kind of do my own thing. And so like giving me a reason to to do all of that i mean i wouldn't be doing this if it wasn't for like working with these animals and so that's another thing that i'm i'm super grateful for is just them and just kind of growing myself um, is essentially yeah. what i'm saying yeah. like I'm, I'm just i'm not i'm not that guy i'm like i'm not this strong orator or anything like that but just kind of pulling me out of my shell right? yeah 100 percent. yeah and yeah super grateful for that hit the nail on the head 
cool. So I know I know it's getting late. We're almost on two hours. I do have a few random questions for you cool. uh, before I let you get out of here and enjoy the rest of your night. But if you could live anywhere in the world, where would that be and why? Easy. Kauai. Kauai, Hawaii. Um, my wife and I have been there once on vacation. We've been to Hawaii twice and Kauai is, I mentioned my background in being a therapist, uh, Mm -hmm. psychotherapist. I work with veterans and, um, uh, and their family members. And so being a therapist, so I'm, I do Kung Fu and Tai Chi. That's like a nerd thing about me. I've been doing it for six years. I'm a, yeah, I've been, um, uh, and so, um, so I connect with nature and um there's there's the chi there's an energy that that nature provides me and i can get that in a lot of places but when i went on vacation to Kauai, um it's probably the most pristine untouched land in the entire united states and i when i got there i just remember taking a deep breath and just like it was weird i've gone on vacations and i've loved it i've never felt at home anywhere Kauai, i got there and i just felt like i belonged there nice um for those of you that don't know like 78 don't quote me on that but like over 75 percent of that island is untouched the air that you breathe is pure um nice and the people were super welcoming versus like going to maui or going to the other big islands they look and they're like you're white get out of here um and so yeah Kauai was just um breathtakingly beautiful people there were accepting everywhere i went people were saying aloha um (laughs) and it it was just like man yeah it was awesome nice nice yeah i've never been to hawaii Uh, that'd be pretty cool to go so fun fact my wife is crazy uh and i mean that um, she, she goes on she has these facebook pages of like so what we do is when we were really young when we got married we got married at, i was 22 when we got married okay we, we paid off all of our credit card debt and then my wife found a life hack and so what we've done is there are certain high-end credit cards that after rebuilding our credit we were able to you apply for and if you spend three thousand or five thousand dollars in the first three months so any expense that we had or any time that we were like okay we need to buy a sofa or we need a tv we would apply for these credit cards and they would give you like eighty thousand or one hundred and twenty thousand points um if you meet that spending limit we have traveled all over the country and to other parts of the world and we haven't spent other than like our, our food costs and other but like, like hotels, and stuff. Ho- yeah hotels and airfare we haven't spent a dime on, oh, any nice. of our, on, on any of our vacations because my wife found this life hack. So nice. I, I've been to Hawaii two times. We're probably going to go again next year. And it's not because we're loaded or we have a bunch of money. It's because we literally found this credit card hack that, you know, we don't have a single bit of debt. Um, and um, yeah, shout out to crazy wife, crazy wise. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, um, yeah, so she found that hack. And so we have zero credit card debt because what we're doing is we're using the money that we have to what we were planning on purchasing or like daily expenses. And we just use a credit card instead of our debit card. And poof, yeah, it's nice. Great. That's a good life hack. <laughs> All right. So, um, if you could have dinner with any three people, dead or alive, it doesn't matter. 
Who would it be and why? Ryan Reynolds. Uh, because he's just a down-to-earth funny dude. He's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Matthew McConaughey. Okay. Uh, he's he's a Texas favorite here. And um, yeah, he's by the big, way, uh, he's a big Longhorn fan. Are you a Longhorn fan? I am. I'm an adopted Longhorn fan, though, because I only moved to Texas six years ago, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to be a Longhorn fan. Who were you um, before then? Or did you uh, so, so I played college sports. And, and I, I played college baseball. And so for me, I never really followed college sports a lot because um, I felt like giving amateurs recognition was really weird. Um, <laughs> but now that I'm not in college anymore, um, yeah, I, I've been following the Longhorns a lot. So um, prior to me just moving here um, and living in Florida, um, shout out to Gators. Yeah. Yeah. Did you see it? Did you see it? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I've seen you sip on that before. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I, I love and respect the, the Gators, especially what they do in football. Um, but um, so Matthew McConaughey, just because a guy has so much to offer and he's so smart. Um, as a matter of fact, I'm doing uh, relief in Uvalde, Texas right now. Every Thursday with my company, I go to Uvalde to help with relief for uh, the shooting that just happened. Um, and I almost got the chance to meet him. Uh, they wanted to meet with our company. They weren't able to make it that day. Uh, so, um, hopefully I'll get the chance to meet with, with him next week. Um, cause he's doing a lot for the community. He's just a very, very big, um, uh, he's a community influence. He gives back to Texas in every way, shape or form, which I think it's huge he's for celebrities, huge right? Texas guy. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and, um, third person would probably have to be uh joe rogan okay uh and the reason why is just because um the guy's a jack of all trades he knows a lot about everything and he's a very motivational person and i felt like if i could have dinner with him and sit down with him and talk to him i would leave feeling like i could take on the world nice nice This is the first time catching the live, and I enjoyed it. Thank you so much. I will continue to come back. Thank you so much for coming out. Thank you. Thank Appreciate you. Appreciate you. Thank watching. you. And then another random question: If you were to win ten million dollars, how would you use it? If I were to win ten million dollars, how would I use it? Boy. All right. So first and foremost, everyone in my family would be taken care of. Nice. Um, and my wife's family. Um, they all deserve a break. Nice. Um, I'd buy a good piece of land and property. Um, and I would, um, build what I need to for my snakes, for my wife and I to be happy. Um, and I would definitely invest. I would probably hire the best financial advisor that I can get. And I'd probably give him $3 million. And I say, here, make my money grow. Um, and I would probably start start a nonprofit for um, foster care. Um, nice. nice. There's, there's a big topic right now about women's rights being taken away with abortion. I know it's a very tough, uh, touchy subject, um, but, but with me um, and the work that I do working with kids, working with, um, you know, just being a therapist, um, there's the other side of people that um, 
you know, I, if you are, uh, if you're pro-life, um, hundred percent okay with that where everybody's entitled to their opinion. But what I think that people don't really realize is that like we have, you know, hundreds of thousands of people in the foster care system, um, that are in houses that are creating trauma for kids and are just not a good place. And I would like to develop some type of nonprofit to be able to give back to foster care kids so that they can have a better life while they're in foster care, find ways to, to get them adopted into good families. Um, and yeah, yeah, I think that's what I would do. So take care, take care of my family, take care of myself, get me a nice house, uh, buy me a nice truck and Acura NSX. Um, and, and I, I try to start a nonprofit with um, foster care. I love the recurring themes there. Um, and it's not, the recurring theme is it's not all about you. Like it's about giving back and about helping people. hundred percent. So, I, I mean, I, 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 I don't even know what I would do with $10 million. Like that, that's, I mean, I mean, I guess it's really not that much money, but at the same time, like if I had 10 million, that's a lot of money. And I feel like I'd be such a a douchebag <laughs> if I kept it to myself, man. Absolutely. Is that much respect? Yes, hundred percent, hundred percent. And so, what's one question you wish I would have asked you, and how would you have answered that question? Um. Uh, I guess I would have. I, I wish you would have asked me and. Uh, I'm okay that you didn't, but I guess I would have, I wish you would have asked me a little bit more what I do about like my, in my personal life. Um, just because I love the opportunity to advocate for mental health. Um, I am a mental health therapist. I do, uh, psychotherapy for veterans and their families and okay. destigmatizing counseling, getting help, especially for veterans, because it's so, so stigmatizing for veterans to get help. Um, Veterans are one of the populations that when they discharge and they are, uh, we also serve active duty as well. I see active duty members, but um, it is so difficult to, um, for these individuals to get counseling because there's such a, a, a stigma, a negative stigma about reaching out when you need help. And I would have loved to have talked a little bit more about PTSD and how treatable and how, how it's, it's definitely something that's recoverable. There's so many people out there that think that once you have PTSD, um, there, there's, you just have to learn how to live with it. And that's not true. I've seen, I've treated people with PTSD and I've seen that, that diagnosis go away and melt away and then learn to live a beautiful, healthy lifestyle, um, just by coming in and talking to someone. So for anyone that is listening, um, and you're struggling with mental health, anxiety, depression, uh, attachment, uh, OCD, whatever the case may be on anything, or even just like life adjustments that are so, that, that are just difficult to go through, go talk to someone. And, and if you are contemplating, but you're like, it's, it's not affordable, it's not expensive, reach out to me because every single place that you, the, there's there's resources and there's there's a way for you to find affordable um, help to uh, just get uh, just to talk to someone to have a non-biased objective opinion on on how to get support for you. 
And Antoine from High Desert Parthenon said it. It took me a long time to go out there and ask for help, and he's glad that he did. Antoine, what's up? I've seen you a lot of time on Chris's, uh, uh, you know, little Zoom meetings. How's it going, man? I'm glad to see that you did your first show. Thanks so much for coming in late, man. So, um, you sit in on um the Reptile Keepers Zoom yeah. call, with Chris? Or, yeah. Or, yeah. yeah, not not every week. I do the best that I can, but um. <sighs> It is interesting to say the least. Yeah, yeah. So I've sat in on two so far. Um, I'm gonna try to log on tomorrow. Uh, Jen Kate was on the show Thursday, and she's yep. like, "Need to get your ass back in there." And so, yep, Jen. Jen yeah. is great, man. Chris is always talking about her tits. I feel so bad for her. <laughs> <laughs> Jen, I am so sorry that you are being subjected to that, but Chris, I love you. <laughs> Uh, that's funny yeah no it's, right, it's, it's a great show yeah yeah i, I want to get back on there um i'm gonna try to log on tomorrow just gotta make it happen yeah i i, I plan to be there so hopefully you'll be there okay we're 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 well it was great talking with you tonight i really appreciate you coming on the show yeah mike um, i mean it man thank you so much yeah thank you thank you this is this has been great um, I've learned a lot because admittedly, I don't know a whole lot about retics. Like I, I know some basic stuff, but I've had, this is the second person who's been like a, a big, well, really third person. Um, that's been like a big retic keeper. And so like each time I have someone on the show, I learned something different. I learned something new, um, a different way to think about it. So I really, really, really appreciate you coming on the show. I'm, I'm glad we could make everything work, um, scheduling wise. And this is pretty cool doing something on a Saturday night. So yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely. hundred percent. Again, thanks again. Hey, everyone who was here, who asked questions, uh, I appreciate the, uh, engagement. It definitely makes this stuff easier and, and, uh, felt like home here. So, um, Mike, hopefully we get the opportunity to do this again down the road. I definitely Absolutely. Will, will, Absolutely. will have you on our podcast too. would love to have you. Absolutely. On. Absolutely. And I think, um, I mean, I, I saw people make comments on it, um, in the chat and I, and I pulled up all the ones that I, that I caught, but folks are like super appreciative of the, the openness and being willing to talk about um, specific subjects and definitely the knowledge you shared. Um, so it's been a great episode, great episode. Yeah, yeah. man. I, I, again, very thankful for all of you guys. And, and, and yeah, my, my job is to, uh, you know, as a therapist, just to destigmatize and just normalize that kind of stuff. And then of course, you know, snake talk is all what we're here for and, and love and have a passion. Like I said, any connection is, is one gained and, and very, very, very thankful to, to be able to be here and, and, connect with you, connect to everyone else. And definitely looking forward to the Reptile Lounge. I'm always, always, always looking for new podcasts to listen to, especially um, on Saturdays when we're doing our deep cleaning in the, in the um, snake room. So, yeah, definitely looking forward to the Tune Reptile in, Lounge. I'm at the, the Retake Lounge. I'm sorry, I said it wrong. The Retake That's Lounge. Okay. <laughs> we, we almost called it the Reptile Lounge. Okay, okay, yeah. <laughs> the Retake Lounge. That's my bad. So I, I've already messed up the branding, but Retake Lounge. And then tell everybody everywhere else they can find you on social media. Yeah. So right now you can follow me at lab. So L A B underscore exotics on Instagram. You can also look up live exotics on uh, Facebook as well. That's where the two of them, um, that, that's where I'm mostly active in the two social media platforms I have. Please go ahead and give me a follow. Um, love to create, uh, to, to connect with you guys on there. If you guys follow me and I'm not following you back, I, I, I have, I'm following more people than I have followers just because again, I like to support as many people as I can. And, and, um, yeah. 
looking forward to you guys uh, seeing what I do there. You guys can see pictures of all of my animals, all of my breeding plans. I'm an open book. I know a lot of people like to keep uh, some things off to the side, but but I love to share everything that I'm doing. If someone beats me to a world's first, so be it. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So, yeah. Yeah. Follow me on there. Just lab exotics. You'll see a little flask, like a lab flask shaped like a snake. Um, and uh, yeah, that's how you can find me. Yeah, and he's got you got some amazing animals posted too. Like, appreciate it. Appreciate really, it. Really, really nice. Really, really nice. All right. So um everyone in the chat, thank you so much for coming out. I really appreciate the support. Looking forward to seeing you this Thursday. We've got uh Derek from Derek's Reptiles uh this Thursday at eight. We'll be back to our regularly scheduled time. So same back time, same back channel. Um Lucas, if you can hang around for a second, I'm going to play the outro real quick, and then we can um, chat a little bit before you get out of here. Thank you, everyone.